Good morning. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor Ed got up here earlier. That means we get out earlier. That's not what it means. <laughs> this morning, uh, as a response to the message and as a response to our worship time, we'll be entering into a time of communion. So we put that at the end of the service. So as I preach, you can really prepare your minds and hearts for that. And here at Grace, uh, if you're visiting, we have open communion, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you are more than welcome to participate with us. For those that are visiting, we're in James, and this morning we're going to get James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. And the theme of James is really, it's time to grow up. And he's looking at the keys to growing in maturity. Now, the word faith is something we use a lot. It is a key doctrine. A doctrine is just a way we think about things. And with faith, we know that we're saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We know that we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We know that without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is the confidence that God's word is true. And then we align our life with what is true. Amen? That's why we read words in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So... There should be a slide up there with all that on there. There you go. Great. Good job. While you look at that and kind of recap what I just said, I got a confession this morning. This passage that we're about to get into this morning has caused endless theological debates. And so I sit there and ask myself this week, who am I to solve that controversy? Back in the 80s, we had something called the controversy from MacArthur and Zane Hodges, Lordship Salvation versus Absolutely Free. And the short version was this. One said that if you have faith in Christ, it will find expression in your life somewhere. There's going to be some kind of evidence, as small as that evidence will be. The other said, no, faith is absolutely free. It's separate from surrender, and you can have faith in Christ and have absolutely nothing change except your eternal destiny. And this argument would go back and forth, and they sold a lot of books about it, and there were seminars taught about it, and there were sides drawn about it, and there was churches that erected buildings and doctrines saying, we're not like those people over there because they believe this. I think what I find tragic is, from all this theological implications and divisions, it fractured the body of Christ. And so this passage has caused much confusion and misunderstanding. So I'm walking into this, and what I'm about to say, I say with fear and trembling, because you may already have your mind up what it says. And I might share something different than that. James deals with the relationship of faith and works. And it's critical to understand, and it's essential 
if we're going to maximize our Christian experience, especially in times of trials, if we're going to grow up, we have to understand the relationship of faith and works. So we go back to the very beginning and ask the question, do you want to choose joy in the midst of trials? And if the answer is yes, then you have to understand how faith and works are married to each other. Now, I want to preface this passage and say this, that your theology, and your theology, again, is just how you think, okay? I know it's a big, fancy word. It's just how you think about God. But your theology frames your life and work. What that means is what you believe about God and his interaction with the world and with you will shape the choices you make. See, theology answers four important questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? So faith in God leads to faith in ourselves. And note the sequence there. Because we believe that God controls and builds the design. We are all made in his image. And we steward that design. Which means we align ourselves with how God has made us and designed this world. So faith has to do with the conviction of God's willingness and ability to manage this world and our part in that. I know that's a loaded statement. You can think about that. But let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. He writes, what good is it, my brothers, if someone, and now make this note, he's talking to who? He's talking to Christians, my brothers. And note the context of James. James is about growing up in Christ. It's about choosing joy in the midst of trials. It's about setting aside our desires so that temptation doesn't overtake our lives. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So James says faith without works is a dead faith. Another word for dead, if you want to put it here instead, is the word useless. That's what it means. And James says, as Christians, we're not designed for a useless or dead faith. But of course, the first question you're thinking to yourself is, can dead faith save someone? That's where we get hung up. What does save mean here? Now, this isn't the only time that James uses the word save. We saw it back in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So let's just kind of go back there and look at this. James says, know this, my beloved brothers. Again, writing to the church. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We talked about all these things. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we hold anger inside, if we lack unforgiveness, it will destroy ourselves. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what does save mean? It almost sounds like James is saying that we are saved by doing certain things. And if we don't do those certain things, then we're not saved. Now, just so you know, and this is a great comfort to me, there's great people in history that struggle with this passage. I was reading this past week about Martin Luther, who was kind of the initiator of what we call the Great Reformation, the sola statement, sola fide, faith alone. 
He called James a straw epistle. He didn't like James. He says, James contradicted Paul. Paul says they're justified faith apart from works. And look at this verse here. It's, I said it already, but take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's not your own works. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. And that's pretty clear. So that no one may boast. You cannot earn your way into salvation with Christ. So what is James talking about? Dead faith, a useless faith. And if we don't have that kind of faith, then somewhere this saved stuff doesn't fit in. Again, in the context of Scripture, there are three experiences in Scripture that the word save is used. The first is what we call justification, big fancy word for salvation. We're justified by Christ, by his grace, by faith in him alone. We read that in Ephesians. There's glorification. Again, a big theological word. All that means is we're saved from the presence of sin. Someday when we get to heaven, we'll be glorified. We'll live with glorified bodies. We'll be with the glorified Christ. We'll have the new heavens, the new earth. And we are going to be free from the presence of sin. Anybody looking forward to that? The third that scripture talks about being saved from is what we call sanctification. That's free from the power of sin. And when you think about sanctification, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. And this is what we talk about growing up in Christ. The epistle of James is about sanctification. It's about how do we choose joy? How do we resist resist temptation? How do we not be double-minded and unstable in our ways? So what James is talking about, the saving he's talking about, isn't having to do with salvation from death to life. Let me put it this way. Paul in his epistles helps us move from being sinners to saints. Okay, Saints just means that we're set apart for God's glory. That's what it means to be saved. James talks about how we as saints become sanctified. It's how we just don't become saved and sit and nothing changes. It's about how do we grow in the likeness of Christ and how do we shed off things like anger and covetousness and greed and envy and jealousy. And how do we grow up and become generous, gracious, truth-abiding believers? When we allow the marriage of faith and works, as James talks about, It means we will grow up. It means that we will learn to choose joy in the midst of trials. It means that we will resist temptations. And we looked at that in chapter 1. We'll look at it again later. It means that we learn how to treat people without partiality. And so what James is saying is we are designed to grow. And if you want to grow, you have to understand faith being married to works. I think the sad part about this is many Christians do not understand the relationship of faith and works. As a result, they don't have a vibrant spiritual life. Now, to help us understand this, James gives an illustration. Look at verse 15. James 2, verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister 
is poorly clothed and lacking daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body. What good is that? He's trying to illustrate faith in Christ is going to find its expression and how we care and how we are grace-filled with other people. Let me put it in terms that maybe you'll understand. Let's say that we have a person this morning that comes forward for prayer. And their prayer request is they need food. They're broke. Their cabinets are bare. There's nothing in the refrigerator. Their clothes are worn. They don't have winter coats. And they need a coat for the winter. And so we as a congregation surround them. We lay hands on them. And we start praying. And we pray, Lord, we know you can do anything. And this dear brother needs some food. And and we know that you fed the 5,000. So can you help this brother fill his stomach? And Lord, we know you're all powerful. And and we know you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Can't you just kill one of those cattle and make a coat for this brother? So we pray in the name of Jesus, you deliver a coat to this man today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said, amen. And we pat him on the back, and he leaves. James says, this man doesn't need a sermon. What he needs is a refrigerator full of food. James says, what this man doesn't need is a prayer. Doesn't need a prayer. He needs a sandwich and a coat. So catch this principle. Right information without the right action is a waste of everyone's time. Okay? Right faith without right action is a dead faith. It's a useless faith. Right information without the right action is a waste of everyone's time. And James's point is there's a lot of Christians wasting their time. So he says this in verse 17. So also faith by itself. If you say I have faith in Jesus... It doesn't have any works to it. He says it's useless. It's dead. So James is telling us, if you want to grow up, if you want to defeat sin in your life, if you want to grow in Christ and become a productive person in the church, helping one another, faith must have some outworking in your choices if you are going to grow. It cannot remain simply an intellectual exercise where you check off the doctrine box saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe a set of facts about Jesus. Yes, I affirm those facts are true. And here in the illustration is one of the most simplest acts of kindness. You know, in Scripture... There's multiple verses that speak of doing good. I think about Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, so then we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. See, faith in Christ is an opportunity to do good in a world where there's so much evil. And that's why James says it's more than an intellectual exercise. It's more than just doing good things. Christ makes us righteous. As a result, we can do righteous things. And he's looking for us to marry faith and works. A way of saying this is it's a practical outworking of our faith. Now, like most things, someone doesn't like what James is saying. So there's a counter argument. We pick that up in verse 18. But someone will say, 
You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And this person's saying this, listen, works doesn't prove anything. There's no connection between faith and works. And that's part of the confusion back in the 80s over the whole lordship salvation, absolutely free argument. And then he furthers the argument in verse 19. He says, listen, to believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, you might say it's kind of odd that he brings demons into the picture, but hear the point. And often this verse is misquoted. For those that don't know, demons are the fallen angels that when Lucifer tried to take over God, they said, yes, we want Lucifer to be in charge instead of God. And so they fell along with Lucifer when they challenged God's authority to be God. And in scripture, there's a lot of things to say about demons. Here, they believe in the existence of God. In Mark 3, they believe in the deity of Jesus. Luke 8, they believe in the place of punishment, hell. In Mark 5, they recognize Christ as the judge. And so this person is arguing with James. He says, listen, you have faith, you do well. Demons have faith, they do evil. There is no connection between faith and works. In James chapter 2, verse 20, he says this then. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? So he calls them a fool. That faith apart from works is useless. And all he's saying is this. You have to understand there's a relationship between faith and works. If you want to be useful. If you don't, you'll be useless. Let me illustrate. When you go home today and you go into your houses, take a look around your house. I will guarantee you there are things there that have sat there for years. Amen? (laughs) There are things in your closet you don't know have existed in that closet. I mean, how many times you come across something saying, oh, I didn't know I still had that. It's like, Five years hid in the closet, under your bed, behind the couch. So you have all these things that have sat there for years. And James is saying, listen, it's nice that you have that coat. It's nice that you have this. It's nice that you have this. But they're useless. They have no value. I know what some of you are saying. This is good Lancaster County theology. It's not good biblical theology. You sit, you sit there and say, you know, I might need that someday. <laughs> That's like saying, I have faith in Christ that I might need someday. And you miss the opportunity of that day. So the question becomes, do you desire to have joy in the midst of trials? I mean, do you want what James talks about in James chapter 1? Do you desire to be free from giving into temptation? Or... Do you want to be a person that has no self-control and no patience? Do you want a Christianity that's useless? I mean, this is really what James is confronting us this morning with. Now, let me say a few things. Here's the first thing. After I've said everything, and you probably heard me say things I didn't say, understand Christ is the judge of who is in and who is out. Amen? You're not, I'm not. There's a story of two sons working for their father's farm, and the father told them to go to the work, and the first son says, you know what? I'm not going out today. Later on, he changes his mind and goes out. 
The second son, you know, I'm going to go out there, dad. And when dad goes away, he just keeps on doing what he's doing. He never bothers going out. And so we hear this, have this verse in Matthew 21, 23. Jesus asked the question to the religious people that were there, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, how would you like a preacher saying to that to you on a Sunday morning? So Jesus is the judge of who's in and who's out. See, the problem in this passage is, well, they did all these good works, these religious people, and they went to synagogue and they did their prayers and they did their righteous stuff. They refused to believe in Christ. See, that was the will of the Father. They had no faith in Christ. Their faith resided in their good works. And that's not what saves us. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, a Sermon on the Mount that is, is a familiar passage to people that have been raised in the church. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. What's the will of the Father? Is to accept his Son as Savior and Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, and nobody said here, I never knew you. It's not, hey, yeah, I knew you for a while, but you kind of lost it. He just said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You're useless. Why? Again, works will not get you in. They practiced the good needs, even did it in the name of Jesus, but they never accepted Christ as Lord of their life. To believe in Christ believes I've sinned and I'm in need of a Savior. The second, I want to give you some advice. Whenever I preach a sermon about this, people are sitting there and I, I, I know what they're thinking. They're nervous because they have loved ones, could be kids, could be grandkids, could be brothers, sisters, could be a father or mother, could be a friend, who at some point in the, their life, they made a decision for Christ. They, they prayed a prayer, they said the words, call it whatever you want, but there's been no fruit. They don't go to church, they don't pray. Some even say, God doesn't exist. And this makes people nervous. And again, we get caught up in the whole theological, well, they prayed the prayer, so they're in. Who's the judge of who's in and out? Jesus, not us. But if you have concern for someone this morning that has no interest in Christ or his church, but at some point prayed a prayer to accept him, my advice to you is do everything in your power to help them find Christ. Now, if you're concerned for yourself, if that's where you've been, time is now to accept Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, okay, you know what? I've been caught up in this thinking that I have to straighten out my life. And once I straighten out my life, then I can become a good Christian. No, it starts with accepting Christ. (laughs) Then you work the works out. Amen? Note the sequence there. So if you're here this morning and you, you want to accept Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to just settle this right now. 
So if you're here this morning and you want to make that step, just kind of stand, and we're going to have someone get with you and help you understand that and make that decision now. So I'm going to take a step back because when the lights are in my eyes, I can't see anybody. See, that's how I preach this morning. So is there anyone that wants to accept Christ as their Savior? Just stand up. Yes, what's your question? Well, I'm going to talk about that later, okay? So just hang on. (laughs) Is there anybody who makes that decision for Christ? Just stand up right now, and we're going to take care of it, and we're going to move on. Okay. Here's the third thing I want to say. According to Scripture, we can have assurance of our salvation. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, by the way, he also writes this, I write these things that you might have joy. I mean, it's a great book to keep reading and reading and reading and reading. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. The word know there is the word assurance that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a good verse to keep in your heart. I know most people worry about whether or not they're in or out. It's because they wrestle with a particular sin. And let me say this, your sin will not keep you out of heaven. Your lack of belief in Jesus Christ as Savior will. So hear what James is talking about this morning. He says, there are people who substitute words for works. There are people that have the correct language, the right verses, but they think words are equal to works. Because I've said the right thing and spoken the right thing, because I've spoken out against something, And James is saying, you know, you you can be very religious and have no faith. It's dead, it's useless, it's inactive. And so James is telling us that he wants to maximize our Christian life. He wants us to have joy in every circumstance. He wants us to overcome temptations. And how this happens is by practicing your faith. And where do you get faith? You get it from the word of God. In Romans 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of God, we surrender ourselves to God and his word. We receive his word. We practice his words. We share his word. That was the outline of chapter one. And so you can see how James is just reaffirming over and over. So here's the challenge. If you're here this morning and your faith has been useless, in other words, it's, Yeah, I've accepted Christ, but I've not done anything with it. And you want to say no more. I'm going to activate my faith. I'm going to marry my faith with good works. I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. And uh, if that's where you're at this morning, I think that's what you were asking this morning. So just stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Is there anyone? Oh, yeah. Time to stand up now. I see some others. Uh-oh. It's not uh-oh. This is a safe place. This is a safe place to admit that you struggle. In fact, inside the church, you know, we are the ones that are to restore people with gentleness. So often we beat each other with the truth. Anyone else? I see people standing all over the place. You're going to say, Listen. I need to do the works thing. 
Okay, I'm going to ask everyone just to stand in affirmation with these people. I'm going to ask the people that are going to serve communion to come down front. The worship team can come on stage as I pray. And then as a response out of this message, we're going to worship Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And we're going to celebrate that together. So let's pray together. Father God, we confess to you this morning that you are Savior and that you are Lord. And while we don't have all the answers with this whole faith and works thing, we know that you, you saved us just not to sit there. So in all our lives, Lord, no matter where we're at, no matter what we struggle with, no matter what we think about ourselves, may we have the opportunity this week to do good, to bless, to look around us and say, you know what, I can make a difference in a small way. And whether it's taking a piece of clothing out of our closet because it's been there for years and it's useless and giving it to someone who needs it, to sitting down with someone and buying them a dinner, I just pray, Lord, that um, we understand that this, this whole works thing flows out of our relationship with you and that we make this world a better place than it was because you are in us and we are in this world. I pray now as we enter into communion, as we reflect upon the sacrifice you made for us, may we humbly bow our knee May we understand, it's really impossible for us to understand, Lord, everything that was involved in that. But may our understanding this morning lead us to leave this place with gratitude and thankfulness. And may we honor you this week. And may our faith find its expression and become useful and become alive. And we pray these things in your name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated.